0: following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore, for our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. I want you to think for a minute about what you picture when I say the word God. Think about the image that comes to your mind. What do you think about when you think about God? if you think about God. Some people maybe picture God as a, as a Gandalf-type figure, you know, this kind of old, wise, wizardry, sage kind of person dispensing knowledge and wisdom about life and the universe. Uh, some people picture God maybe more like a Zeus kind of character, an angry deity sitting up in heaven with a lightning bolt in his hand, ready to smite anyone who wanders outside of his will or displeases him. And some people think of God as an impersonal force, kind of like the the power of love or the, the force of the universe, this force that's woven into the fabric of everything. Well, the picture that the Bible gives us of who God is is not much like any of those stereotypes, and it's not much like Morgan Freeman either, I have to confess. I want to make a statement about who God is that will underpin a lot of what we talk about in this series. Uh, It's not an exhaustive definition of God, but it is a good starting point. And the statement is simply this. God is a community of love. Now, there's a couple of things that are really important in that statement. The first is that God is a community. When people picture God, they tend to picture him, however they think about him, they tend to picture him as a fairly singular kind of being a solitary kind of being who lives a fairly isolated existence. But the picture the Bible gives us of God from beginning to end is that God within himself is a community, that God within himself is plural, that God exists as one being, but, ex- but within that one being there are three distinct persons. Now, I know this is a lot to get into on the very first session, but this is very fundamental and basic to who God is, that God exists as one being, but within his being there are three persons, and the name that we give to those persons are the Father, and the Son who is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. They're not three distinct gods, we're not talking about three different types of beings, not three totally separate entities, but three persons. Within the one being of God. And each of those persons play a different role in the story. And as the story of God unfolds, we'll see each of them come to the fore in different ways. The important point for now, though, is that within His one being, God is a community of persons. And those persons, Father, Son, Spirit, are in relationship with one another. And the nature of their relationship is defined by love. There is this perfect and pure and uncontaminated form of love that is being shared constantly between Father and Son and Spirit, which represents the purest and highest form of love that exists. Every other form and experience of love that we have is modeled on and patterned after this beautiful love that exists within the being of God. The Bible describes this very succinctly in 1 John 4, 16, where it says, God is Love, And that doesn't just mean that God is loving toward people outside of himself. It means that within himself, God is love. Because there is this love that's flowing freely back and forth between Father and Son and Spirit all the time. From eternity past to eternity future. Some ancient Christian writers described this kind of love within the being of God They compared it to a dance. It's like this divine dance going on within the being of God. Personally, I love a good dance. I enjoy dancing. Uh, My biggest problem is that my wife does not enjoy my dancing. And so whenever we go to a wedding where there's a dance, we have to have a talk on the way, in the car. before We have to have a little talk about how there will be no dancing and I will not be allowed on the dance floor at any time in the course of the evening. And that may or may not be because I attempted a particular dolphin dive move at one wedding that was an embarrassment to me and her. Anyway, this love within the being of God is not like my dancing. It's a much better form of... It's more like the dancing of of brilliant professional ballroom dancers who just move in perfect sync in harmony with one another. You can imagine that being like this love within the being of God, this perfect love where Father and Son and Spirit move in harmony with one another. Even when they're acting in unique ways, they're always acting in concert, always acting in harmony, always acting in synergy with one another. God, within his own being, is a community of love. Now, it's this love within the being of God that leads to the first scene in the story of God, where God creates. He creates things and beings outside of himself. You could think of this love within God like water bubbling up and up and up within a a boiling pot. At a certain point, the water bubbles over. It spills over outside of the pot. This is like the love within God. Ultimately, the love within the being of God couldn't be contained within God's being himself and it led him to bring forth new life with which he could express and enjoy and experience his love. New life that he could enfold into this circle of love within himself. And that brings us to the very first words in the Bible. The very first verse in the Bible in Genesis 1.1 is a simple statement. Let me read it to you. It says, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. God didn't create the world because he was needy. God didn't create the world because he was lonely. God didn't create the world because he needed us. He already had perfect companionship within his own being. He enjoyed perfect love within himself. God created the world because he had an excess of love within himself. Because he had an abundance of love and he wanted to share that love with others. And so the first few pages of the Bible describe this process by which God creates the universe. And this process of creation moves forward in a series of days or stages by which God brings things into being. And God separates out, he separates out light from darkness. And once he's created the earth, he separates earth from sky. He separates land from sea. And then he fills his creation he fills the earth. He fills it with plant life. He fills it with animal life. And then we reach this climactic moment in the, the opening scene of creation where God fashions the pinnacle of his creative work and he creates human beings. Human beings are the crowning glory of God's creation, they are the jewel in the crown of God's creative work, the centerpiece of this whole beautiful artwork, this display that God has brought about. He creates them with dignity as the pinnacle, the high point, the whole symphony of creation rises to this amazing crescendo with the creation of human beings. God creates two human beings, Adam and Eve and places them right in the center of this beautiful world, this good world that he has created. Now there's one key statement about humans and their identity and their purpose that's found in this early scene. It's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and here's what it says about human beings. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, to feel the full impact of that statement, I want to compare it to another statement about human identity from a different creation story. It's called the Enuma Elish. And this creation story came out of a completely different culture, an ancient culture or civilization called Babylonia. It was written two or 3,000 years ago. And it also has a statement about human identity, according to Babylonian culture. Let me read this extract from the Enumeralish to you. I will take blood and fashion bone. I will establish a savage man shall be his name. Truly savage man I will create. He shall be charged with the service of the gods, that they might be at ease. So according to the enumeralish, the purpose that human beings are created for is basically to be slave laborers for the gods, basically to be manual laborers for God, doing his bidding, doing whatever he wants them to do so that he can relax and chill out. It's a complete contrast with the picture of humanity that we find in the Bible. In the story of God, human beings are created with dignity. They're created with value. They're created with inherent worth because God brings them forth as as the great high point, the crowning glory of his whole creation. They're not created to be slave laborers for God. They are created to bear his image. And that's the central statement that's made in the Bible, in the first chapter, about human beings, that we are created in the image of God. That is the essence of what it means to be human, that we bear the image of God. That's what separates us from every other form of life, plant life, animal life, any other form of life. Only human beings uniquely and distinctly bear the image of God. So what does that mean? What does it mean that we are created in the image of God? Well, let me describe it this way. Uh, When you got up this morning and when you looked in the mirror, what did you see? You saw yourself right? You might not like what you see, but you saw yourself. Or at least you saw a reflection of yourself. The mirror is not you. The mirror is not your your body. The mirror gives you a fairly accurate representation of who you are. It reflects back to you your image. Now, that's similar to who we are in relation to God. Human beings are not God, we're not created as deities, but we are created to reflect or to image God in some significant ways. We are created to be mirror images of God, representing, reflecting back to him in some sense, things about himself. So that shifts the question to become, what is it about God that we are supposed to image? What, in what way are we images of God? We'll come back to that statement that I made about God at the beginning, that God is a community of love. If God's nature is fundamentally relational, if he is, in essence, a community of love, what might it mean for that God to create us in his image? It means that we are created for loving relationship, for loving community. Just as God is a loving community, we are created in his image to express loving community, in relationships that we enjoy, both within ourselves and outside of ourselves, See, the, the love within the being of God, the love between Father, Son, and Spirit, it's invisible. We can't see it. You can't see God. But God has found a way to make it visible by creating human beings in His image and placing them in the context of these relationships where they give visible expression to the love that's being shared within the being of God. As we exist in loving and healthy community, in loving relationship, we are imaging or reflecting the loving community within the being of God himself. And these loving relationships that we're created to enjoy, to experience, they move in a number of different directions. I want to identify four primary relationships that make up the image of God. Four ways in which we are created to image God. I'll briefly explain each of these now, and then as we go through subsequent sessions, we'll see how this uh, unfolds. The first relationship that makes up the image of God is that human beings were created to have a relationship with God himself. We were created to enjoy, to experience a personal relationship with God. God didn't create human beings, place them in in this paradise, on this earth, and just walk away. He didn't just leave them to fend for themselves. He didn't just ignore them. God created them, and then immediately he began to relate to them. And you see, over the first few pages of the Bible, God is conversing with human beings. He's relating to them, and the relationship is warm, and it's personal, and it's friendly. God brings the animals to humanity to be named. God gives human beings significant responsibility over his creation. God wants to enter into a relationship with human beings that is personal, I remember as a boy, I went on holiday to my cousin's place down in Bulls. It wasn't the most exciting place to go on holiday, Bulls. And uh, while I was down there, it was one time my auntie got mad with me and told me off. And I remember getting really upset and frustrated by that and running out of the house, running down the street to this playground at the end of the road. And I wanted to talk to God. I was feeling angry. I was feeling upset. I remember just wanting to kind of let that out and talk to God. But the only way I knew how to talk to God was through the first two lines of the Lord's Prayer. That's the one that says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that's all I knew. That's all I knew of that prayer. And those were the only words that I knew to try to relate to God. So I used up those lines. And then I remember just feeling so frustrated because I just had nothing out. I didn't have any other language. I didn't have any other words. And I just couldn't vent to God. And I wish that I'd known back then that I could say whatever I liked to God. That I could be free and open in the way that I related to God. Because he already knew exactly how I was feeling. He already knew what was going on inside of me. And I could relate to God in, a, in, a, in, a, in the way of friendship with him. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with us, one that is open and personal and free. It's not like the relationship that you have with your bank or your insurance company, where they send you out statements that's got your name on it, but the relationship's not particularly personal. The relationship that we were created to have with God is one that is intimate and personal, where we know God just as we are known by Him, where we are able to love God just as we are loved by Him by him. And that loving, personal relationship with God is the central part of what it means for us to be made in the image of God as human beings. The second kind of relationship that makes up the image of God is a relationship with self. Now that might sound a little bit strange, having a relationship with yourself, but it's actually a really important part of the image of God. One of the things that's said about human beings early on in the Bible is that they were naked, but they felt no shame. Shame is that awful feeling of being embarrassed of yourself, where you're humiliated of yourself. Something you've done, something you are. It's that feeling you get when you think about the thing you least like about yourself or the thing that you've done that you just hate and regret, and you just cringe. You cringe with this kind of self-loathing. That's shame. It's an ugly, ugly feeling. But imagine at the beginning of the story here, human beings exist in this shame-free world, in this world where there is no shame, they didn't know what that, what that meant and what that experience was. And the reason for that comes back to the first relationship, their relationship with God. They were so anchored in their identity, in relationship with God, they saw themselves exactly as God saw them. Their image of themselves didn't come from another person. It didn't come from a culture. It didn't come from a particular story. It came from God. They saw themselves as God saw them. So they knew they were loved. They knew they were cherished. They knew they were chosen. They knew they were the pinnacle of God's creation. And that led to a deep, deep sense of self-security and self-appreciation and self-worth because they were anchored in this relationship with God. They knew who they were because they knew whose they were. They belonged to God and that gave them a healthy view of themselves. Within that view, there was no room for shame. There was no room for self-loathing, there was no room for self-hatred, there was no room for negative self-esteem because they knew they were loved, they knew just how valued they were. They had a healthy relationship with self. They were emotionally and mentally healthy and whole, whole on the outside as well as on the inside. So God created us to have relationship with him, he created us to have relationship with self, and the third relationship that we were created in, which is part of the image of God, is a relationship With others. When God creates human beings in the story, he steps back from this good world and he says, it is very good. But there's one time in the opening scenes of the Bible where God says, it is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. At that stage, he's only created the male. And he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And he creates a female as a companion for him. What is not good is human loneliness. What is not good is human isolation. We were created for healthy relationship with one another. It's not about being an extrovert. It's not about being a party person necessarily. It means that all of us, as part of our humanness, are created to relate in healthy ways to one another. And when we exist within loving relationships, we image the God whose very nature is loving community. Now that could be seen in a healthy marriage relationship, could be seen in a, in a good friendship, good close friendship. could be seen in family relationships. It can also be seen in situations where we love others, where that love can't be reciprocated or is not reciprocated. There's a family in our church recently who temporarily fostered a young girl, a little five-year-old girl, through a fostering organization. And this girl had to be uplifted from the home that she was in because it wasn't a healthy and safe environment for her. She was placed in the care of this family. It ended up being just for one week that they had her. And there were some real challenges along the way for them, some behavioral issues, some some ways of responding to situations that she had adopted, which made things really difficult. But over that week, this family did all they could to just show unconditional love to this little girl, to show nurture to her, to help her see how valued she is and how worthy she is as a human being. And one of the sayings of the organization that this family is a part of is this, love me when I least deserve it. Because that's when I need it the most. It's a great saying. And it just expresses to me something of the image of God. What they were doing was showing the image of God to that little girl. What she was seeing, and of course she wouldn't be able to say it this way, but what she was seeing was something of who God is. In the actions, in the words, and the nurture of that family. When we relate to others out of love, out of unconditional, selfless love, we are showing them something of the image of God. The final relationship that God has created us in, which forms part of the image of God, is a relationship with the world. And by the world, that's a big term, but what I mean by that is the broader culture or environment that we live within. Let me read you the verse that comes immediately after God has created human beings in his image. In Genesis 1, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground now now sometimes that commandment to rule over animal life and to subdue the earth has been taken as a license to act in ways that are exploitative towards the environment or cruel towards animals and that is not the spirit of this verse what this gives us this verse is a mandate to continue on god's creative work in the world, as an expression of the image of God. God created human beings, and then he deputized them as his vice-creators, as his vice-rulers, to extend his loving rule and care and creativity over the earth. We were created with significant responsibility. God created us, human beings, with responsibility to cultivate the earth, to care for the environment, to be good tenants of this physical world over which he is the landlord. God created us to bring order into the world through society, through industry, through bringing systems and structure that would bring human potential to its fulfillment. And God created us to be culture makers, not just to live in a culture, but to make and create culture. God made us to explore, to discover To create, to experiment, to accomplish, to achieve, to express all of our humanness in ways that create culture and lead to human flourishing. And when we do that, when we extend the loving care and rule and creativity of God within the earth, we are in some way bearing His image in the world. When you make a beautiful meal and enjoy it with friends and family, you are in some way expressing the image of God. When you use your financial skill to bring sound financial management into your organization, you are, in some way, expressing the image of God. When you use your artistic skills or musical skills to bring about artwork or music that others can appreciate, you are imaging God. When you see athletic brilliance and genius, you are seeing human beings expressing the image of God. When you listen to music that is just transcendent. You are listening to the creation of human beings expressing what it means to be made in the image of God. All of this is happening all the time, and not just by Christians. We're all human beings made in God's image, and God has created us to bring about human flourishing in a variety of ways. To be God's image bearers means to be God's culture makers in the world. So, these four relationships... what we are created to experience and enjoy. Relationship with God primarily. And then relationship with self. Relationship with others. And relationship with the world. The more healthy those relationships are, the stronger those relationships are, the more clearly we express and image the loving, creative community within the being of God himself. And the more fully human we are. The theologian Irenaeus said the glory of God is a human being fully alive. God created us to be fully alive, to be fully and completely human, to embrace our humanity. And that means living well within those four relationships with God, self, others, and the world. When God first created the world, when God first created humanity, All those relationships were working exactly as they were intended to. They were perfectly harmonious relationships at the beginning. But that pristine state of affairs did not last long. In fact, it only lasts a couple of pages in the whole Bible, and things start to go pear-shaped, and those relationships become contaminated. That's the story we'll look at next week. But I want to finish today with the good beginning that God made with a good God whose essence and nature is loving community, with a God who created the universe and made humanity as the pinnacle of his creation, and with human beings made in the image of God to enjoy and to experience healthy relationship with God, with self, with others, and with the world. That's what it means to bear the image of God. That's what it is for us to be truly and fully human.